0: From our studio to yours, it's Various Artists, with Francis and Liam.
1: Ahiohi marie, tēnā koutou katoa, ko Francis toko ingoa.
2: And Co Sam Tokuinoa.
1: No mai, hi, my ki. Various Artists, Motinei Wiki. Welcome to Various Artists. My name is Francis. Uh, you're on Various Artists with Francis and Liam. And usually, I do have my co-host Liam alongside me, but he's currently mooching around uh, in Cuba. So I have the Surf Sam guest producing in the studio today. We'll be with you for the next hour. How are you feeling, Sam?
2: Good. Thanks, Francis. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, it's great to have you along.
2: Um, this is your guide to the big wide art world of Tamaki Makoto and beyond for this week.
1: I e Akine, coming up on the show today, I talk with artist Chevron Hassett about Far Far Away, his show opening this evening at ArtSpace.
2: And I talk to Christian Dimmock about his upcoming show Spilling Heavy Water, which is opening tomorrow morning at Coco Gallery in Wellington.
1: I then talked to retired director of Object Space, Philip Clark Philip Clark, about the life of Nanette Cameron, a pivotal figure in New Zealand interior design, and I have some very strange audio coming through here, which I don't know how to stop. <laughs> Okay, I got rid of it. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thanks for being with us on Student Radio. Um, Yeah, I'm talking. I talk with retired director of Object Space, Philip Clark, about the life of Nanette Cameron, a pivotal figure in New Zealand interior design who recently passed away at 95 years old.
2: And finally, we have your local arts guide for Tamaki Makoto over the next week.
1: Here, aha o fukaro. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these pieces. So, Tsukupatsu himai. You can text us on 5395. Wai Mairane, give us a call in the studio on 309 3879. Also, after the show, Koaea e wari e ahi ana kato tifakarongo ki enei kordiro ana he pakihere roki roki, maronga ite pai tuku tuku or ide rangi po ho mehari ki 95 BFM ide You can catch all these chats and more by podcast on the 95 BFM website, 95 bfm.com.
0: Oh, don't suffer for your art
1: chat. Various artists with Francis and Liam. Over the past few years, artist Chevron Hassett has become well-known as a photographer. But this evening, ArtSpace is opening his show Far, Far Away, which explores his interests in sculpture and installation. Hassett is exhibiting a new sculptural work that continues his exploration of urban indigeneity led by the spirit for Nongatanga. Autobiographical in nature, Chevron's work embeds community, Fano, and whakapapa as essential to the artist and the artwork. Chevron was born in Lower Hutt but has recently moved to Tamaki. Yesterday we caught up to chat about the show that opens this evening. I started by asking him what the work is that he's exhibiting.
0: Yes,
3: I have um, a solo show opening up at Art Space called Far, Far Away. It's a solo exhibition um, and the artwork essentially is a sculpture. Um, it's quite a large sculpture um, and yes, I'm quite excited about it, I guess. It's um, a mixture of It's made, made things and ready-made. And it's something quite uh, different than, I guess, most people presume with my practice. I'm quite uh, excited about it, to be honest.
1: Are you allowed to tell us what the sculpture might look like or some of the materials that are used in it?
3: There's a mixture, I guess, of like customary sort of uh, traditional practice, like focado mixed. But I've kind of done it more in a contemporary way, essentially... And using sort of uh, materials that kind of come from, uh, I guess, my memory and and growing up in a city type of environment. So I'm using some materials, I guess, that are really familiar to people, like uh, clothing, um, some like uh, domestic type materials, but then also um, casting stuff in concrete. So it's quite um, a different sculpture. It's It's quite large. It's about like two meters high, I think about like four meters wide or something like that, maybe even bigger. But yeah, it's a mixture of kind of really nice things and a mixture of new things. So I can kind of say like that.
1: I guess we'll have to come to the opening uh, and find out exactly what's in there. But um, what about the title of the exhibition, Far, Far Away? It just really captured my attention. How did you um, land on that title?
3: Yeah, the title, I guess, is an adoption of something that was said to me when I was young, like from, from my father. I guess when I was a... Uh, I was uh, getting uh, into some mischief and essentially he asked do I want to go far far away and that was kind of his code word for like going to jail I guess or going to prison and so it kind of came from this sort of moment I had with my father when I was like, about 16 or 17 and he kind of just affirmed it like do I want to go that sort of path and then so it came the the title kind of comes out of that sort of moment in my memory but it's also yeah, switching to some of an optimistic sort of thing too, like thinking about the work. Also, like, you know, thinking a lot about, I guess, my existence and my mortality. And then thinking about um, my whakapapa and how that might extend forward into the future and thinking about, I guess, death in a way. It's far, far away. There's a lot of kind of meanings behind it, but also it's kind of, it's got a nice ring to it. So I kind of stuck in thinking of a title.
1: How would you say okay. that moment... With your dad impacted your art practice or this des- decision to pursue a creative practice
3: i don't i don't think it necessarily did in, in the moment you know like i don't think it did at all but I think the art practice me like trying to pursue art practice is part of that um intention with myself to stay on a more positive path essentially with my my life and it's become and I this a long time ago since you said that so my, my way of thinking has changed, but at that time as a teenager and kind of the way, you know, growing up in sort of my environment, I felt like um, the option of going to prison was quite quite achievable. So like, you know, using I as a way to direct my path and change my way of living and life. It's it's changed that pathway, essentially.
1: What did the process look like in the lead-up to exhibiting this work? I guess another way of phrasing that question is, what does your creative practice look like in the studio space?
3: Yeah, I have uh, so full-time in the studio. Um, A lot of my previous projects and practice that I've done over the last, uh, say, five years or so, is normally um, out and about in in the world so like making stuff like like a mural or a project with communities and the last year or so i've been really more in influence trying to stay in the studio practice um at the moment yeah i'm just working on bodies of work a lot there's a lot of trying to figure out how to make things because i'm trying to develop my more like practical and creating skills and making sculptures for this this work in particular i kind of spawned about four years ago five years ago came from a memory before then but the, the original foundations of wanting to make the work the sketches and trying to figure out how to do it came from a residency I did about four years ago. It's quite a, a clean sort of work, but really um, refined, but it's quite complex at the same time. So it took a lot a lot of thinking, a lot of working through, a lot of critique with um, my like, friends and peers, and then yeah, trying to figure out how to put this thing together.
1: Without giving too much away to listeners about what? Oh, yeah. What the work looks like, I know that there's objects of the home, of the domestic and the everyday um, that are reflected in the work. W- what is it about the domestic or the everyday that begs response in you as an artist?
3: A lot of it comes from nostalgia. Um, a lot of it comes from the experience of being Māori and growing up in an urban city. I think that's something where I draw a lot of strength from and trying to um, use that Use those memories and use that sort of cultural upbringing in a city or in an urban setting to to reflect how I might view the world and try to give, space for people from similar walks of life to connect to, but then also to offer this opportunity for people from different walks of life to experience maybe uh, different views and ways of seeing the world. I've used something very iconic, like very iconic sort of a staple that most people probably grew up with, and I've mixed that with something quite colonial. Uh, quite a large symbol of, I guess, yeah, the colonial sort of influence. So it's a, it's a mixture of those sort of things. It's, yes, yeah, showing what it was like growing up in that sort of setting. Most homes should have this item. It's quite, yeah, it's very iconic. And I think a lot of people will have um, nostalgia on it. I think a lot of people have memories of hanging, hanging on it and swinging on it. I guess if I could give it a little hint.
1: There's a little hint for listeners, but they'll still have to turn yeah. up to find out uh, find out what it is. You, yes. you touched on this just before being Māori and growing up in an urban setting. The phrase urban indigeneity seems to float around your work and resonate and land with it. What exactly does that phrase urban indigeneity mean to you?
3: It's just my existence. I, I know that as a guess it's a, it's a non-Māori terminology of the way of, I guess, classing yourself. Um, I don't yes. want it to be seen as a sort of a, a label that um, boxes someone in. But I guess at this, at this time, that's the only way um, I can kind of express that uniqueness within an art practice. I didn't really acknowledge or view that being Māori and being in the city, and that was such a abstract thing to to non-Māori. like Māori. I guess, you know, society-wise now it's kind of normal. But I guess I know that the global context is quite, it's quite unique. It's not something forced. It's, it's kind of come naturally over time. And just coming from a lot of, I guess, more life and personal experiences outside of art, they've kind of, yeah, affirmed that. Um, and I think it's something cool, like something um, beautiful to be proud of. I think that originally there's a lot of ma for many Māori or many uh, indigenous or you know, people growing up in a city that they feel disconnected or they feel not full enough. But there's still pride in growing up in that space and you can you're still who you are in that space. It doesn't dilute
0: you.
1: I, I wanna touch on something that you mentioned there about this experience already being part of you, not something that you necessarily recognised as an experience until you started thinking about it through an art practice. And I know that the, the spirit of whanangitanga is really central to your work and wanted to ask if, if that's something that you have to consciously bring into your work or is that something um, that's already a part of you that just seeps into it naturally?
3: Um, yeah, so... It is both in the sense of the whanau tanga and the sense of, I guess, that, that Māori identity. I didn't actually know I was a Māori artist until someone wrote about it and said I was. And then also the sense of whanau like people highlighted this idea of like I'm always working with communities from a background from in projects. I didn't even view it in that way. I was just doing what seemed normal and what seemed like the right thing to do. And, this, you know, uh, like in my early sort of 20s, I was doing a lot of sort of youth and community work and I was uh, translating into a lot of like public murals and public artworks and working with youth from my high school and, and kind of the region that I grew up in. It wasn't an intentional thing with my practice at all. It was just there was a space of need, essentially. And I naturally fit in that space. And I thought it was important that if I could give some time to my community in, in a way, any sort of way possible it's a good thing and it just happened to be a lot of art projects at the time but now like for like the and you asked me is something that i try include in my projects it's changed now because i don't live in my community where i grew up in yes so there is a, there is a sense of long miss to my hometown but you know i actively try my best to get engaged in projects back there and try my best to also engage in projects back in um back in the homelands too of like where my iwi are from, so so I guess now when I'm away from home, I try to have that intention with my work, but not so much in the location that I'm living now in South Auckland. Um, I haven't really engaged at all the community here, I just got here.
1: Is it a space that you see your practice developing as you uh, commit to spending time in South Auckland?
3: I'm not going to force it, like, you know, I definitely will be going to get involved in of uh, other art makers and other communities and just also like projects yeah in general. But I understand like, you know, it's not my space to to push anything. Like I can only come on in a kind of more just another person sort of thing, you know. I'm never gonna try push anything here in the way that I'm leading it or anything. If you understand what I'm
0: trying mm, to say. <laughs> but,
3: yes. You know, like one thing though that like it's really um what I'm really excited about, like living here in Auckland. Um and particularly South Auckland is the large sort of Polynesian uh, community or like Pacifica community, I guess, in, um, in Māori community. So, you know, um, it's like the largest sort of demographic of that in the world is like here in Auckland. So there's a lot of uh, things for me to learn about and for me to experience and just kind of ways of living and when, ways of living in an urban setting here as well. It's kind of cool to see a lot of brown people, to be honest. Um and it's, it's, it's good that um, there's a lot of uh, communities here from different different nations that do a lot of cool stuff and just have a lot of... They have a big sense of, like, knowing a tanga mm. in their everyday life, and it's cool to see.
1: Can we talk about the Arts Foundation Springboard, which I understand you were one of the um, recipients of last year, and through that you've been mentored by Brett Graham. Can you explain yeah. for listeners about who, who Brett is and what he does and what your working relationship has looked like.
3: I met Brett in Gisborne uh, a few years ago at some Wananga over there. And luckily I was able to receive the Springboard Award um, last year. Um, It's positive because uh, you're able to get, I guess, some food to help support your practice and you have a mentor. Um, The uh, the mentor relationship with Brett, the main thing that um, I can say that was beneficial for it is just giving... I guess, clarity and confidence on ideas, or or critiquing ideas. Uh, I've never really had much older, sort of, relationships in that way, where someone can critique me from experience. I think those are the main sort of things that kind of influenced me. And I was really keen on um, moving to to sculpture and more physical work. And he's uh, quite a, you know, in a New Zealand Zealand art and international sort of art context, he's quite a big artist and has a good history. And yeah, he's just able to just help out in a lot of little ways too, like giving um, the right direction to go somewhere to get the certain materials, all these sort of things that come with an art practice that are kind of mundane but really um, important for making work. It's more uh, building confidence Hmm. of ideas, learning how to go through the process of ideas and just pretty much asking for a thumbs up if it looks good, if it's on the right path.
1: Is there anything you're looking forward to in particular uh, about the opening...
3: Yeah, I like, uh, hope, I guess, some of the public can come, some people that are from Auckland can come and visit the work. Um, hopefully people can you know, gain, gain sort of a connection with the work and give me their critique on the work. You know, it's something quite different for me and it's kind of a statement piece, I guess. Yeah, just people come visit the show, celebrate the project and allow the work to do most of the talking for me. But yeah, it's exciting, it's cool. I'm grateful for the opportunity at Artspace to have a solo exhibition here in Auckland. Yeah, I hope there's more to come.
1: That was artist Chevron Hassett talking with me about Far, Far Away, his new show that opens to the public this evening at Artspace on Karangahape Road from 6pm. The regular gallery hours will resume tomorrow if you'd like to go and visit the show. Next Thursday, the 27th of April at 6pm, Artspace is also holding an in-conversation event with Chevron and artist Brett Graham, his mentor, who he just talked about there in the interview. Both events are free and all are welcome to attend. If you do have any thoughts or feedback on that piece, himai, you can text us on 5395 or give us a call in the studio. We're on 309 3879. We'll be back after a short break.
2: What's a seven letter word for street fighter? Brawler. Hey, you're right. Okay, what about treasure trunks and six? Chests. They said you were good. Hey, what's happening at Ponsonby Social Club
1: this week?
4: Well, tonight there's Chi Ngon So Live, followed by DJs Nick Tims
2: and TDK. And tomorrow, Chica Dyson Live, followed by Killer Raro and
0: Grantis. Same old Ponsonby Social Club, 152 Ponsonby Road. through.
2: MoTat wants to celebrate the educators of today because they help inspire the innovators of tomorrow.
0: So they are giving teachers, teaching students and their families free entry all throughout April.
2: So grab your best workmate and skip class to hang out at the Science and Technology Playground of Aotearoa.
0: Free entry for all teachers at MoTat until April 30th. Find out more at moTat.nz.
2: What kind of music am I into? I didn't. I'm not uh, actually just into one genre. My tastes are very broad and eclectic,
5: and broad, everything apart from country and heavy metal.
1: That's funny because I only listen to metal
5: and country.
1: No, that's a couple of shows before
2: the hard, fast, and heavy show. show, show, show. Two hours of punk, hardcore, goats, doom, metal, and thrash with Paddy and crew. hard, fast and heavy show, 11pm to 1am every Sunday night, only on 95 BFM.
1: Various Artists with Francis and Liam. So you can go to the opening for more than just the snacks.
2: Christian Dimmock is an interdisciplinary artist based in Te Whanganui Wellington. You'll know him from his various music projects such as Yukon-era avant glass recitals and, most recently, Awning. But you may also recognise his paintings. Christian has been painting full-time for the last four months from his Wellington studio. This has culminated in a body of work named Spilling Heavy Water. I spoke to Christian this morning about this new show, which opens tomorrow morning at Coco Gallery in Wellington. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about spilling heavy water? Um, how did it come to be?
4: The show itself is kind of um, a product of the last sort of four months of working for me. Um, yeah, have been working on this body of painting for, for quite a while now. And I guess like a pretty primary difference between any body of work that I've created up up until this point, like, is the fact that I've been painting full time for the last four months, which is something like I've never done before. Yeah, spending five days a week in studio—it's been a big shift for me in, in my work. Um, but yeah, I guess the show itself is evidence of of the last four months <laughs> to put it a bit more
2: simply. And and what does the day in the studio look like for you right now?
4: I live I live out in Mile Bay on the coast in in Wellington and I always catch the bus in and then get off the bus a little bit a little bit uh, earlier in my studio which is on Courtney Place and I sort of walk for a while and get to the studio and have a coffee and I can't really work in the evening so I'll get there at like at maybe eight or nine o'clock and work till work till sort of three or four in the afternoon so normally there's like a few hours of reading and lunch and a few hours of painting just depending on on the day you know
2: so a, a lot of your music sorry, a lot of your work manifests itself as part of a larger series. Why is that?
4: I guess I guess it's got to do with to do with the medium that I work in. And I work in oils pretty much predominantly. And I work on a lot of different things at a time. So I think it's to do with the fact that I can Things come out in, in in larger bodies of work rather than singular works one at a time. I think that's just how I work. As a rule of thumb, I work intuitively and on multiple things at a time. And I've al- always sort of followed that pattern, I guess, of working. And it means that the works, yeah, sort of influence each other and sort of meld into each other a lot of the time.
2: So, as a musician and a painter, how do you choose which medium to express different ideas? Hmm. Uh,
4: I think I think ideas within that come out for me within music. Kind of, they present themselves like initially in a. In a very structured way, they come into my head, and I can see the structure of a song, or yeah, it's it's more it's more mapped out. Um, the idea is more mapped up in the in the beginning stages with music, whereas uh, painting sort of ideas through painting unfold a lot slower and um, ideas become a lot more layered and sort of embedded in the work, and they can get lost and reappear, whereas music is... The ideas for me that come out in music are a lot more um, cohesive and structured and maybe a bit more... uh, Maybe a a bit simpler, I think. That's just to do with... I think that's mainly just to do with different processes between between the two mediums are very very different for me Mm.
2: Is, is it nice to have that option to sort of express yourself in those different ways
4: yeah definitely definitely yeah i feel really really lucky to be able to do both because if one is starting to feel a little bit um worn out I can always sort of I always want to be making so if one feels worn out I can move to the other normally it's sort of the end of the when I like finish a body of work for an exhibition and and get the work up in in wherever I'm showing it that's normally the next few weeks that follow will be quite a productive time for for music um because I have that space, but normally painting is sort of a it's the priority for me.
2: Because your your new EP, My Friend Dog, came out just last month. Mm. Do do they ever feel related? The your um different projects
4: between between painting and and the music. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that. They, they are related because you know, they. It would be hard for them not to be, you know. Um, I think because a lot of my painting is based in autobiographical sort of circumstances or memories, and I think I think the main difference is, is that I look back when I'm painting um a lot and in contrast the music writing music is a very sort of present thing and like I for the EP I just released there was a lot of sort of fun collaboration with my partner and would sort of write like silly little songs together and lyrics and sort of joke around and it was almost collaborative and very present whereas uh, paintings a bit more uh, meditative and, and quiet, maybe. But they're both, yeah, I guess they both stem from somewhere similar inside, inside of
2: me. I just also wanted to mention that I saw one of your artworks, um, Parting Song, in number seven up here in Tamaki. Um, oh,
4: in in the bar. Yeah, yeah in yeah. the
2: bar. Yeah. How does it feel to know your art's on display um, around Aotearoa?
4: Yeah, it's really um, it's really nice knowing that um, people want to put it up, you know. For I mean, for say that example, the in the bar or in the restaurant or whatever, to know that um, other sort of the whoever bought it the owner of the place or they wanna the fact that they wanna show it to other people and would be sort of happy to have it in, in their space. It's yeah, it's really nice and sort of reassuring that I'm doing something that people um, can enjoy, I guess, yeah.
2: So that kind of brings our interview to a close, but I just wanted to ask, um, what does the future have in store for you, Christian? Um,
4: this year, I've just got this show. Um, the band I'm in recitals to been doing some more recording, so that's really exciting. So maybe some new music there, and my partner and I, my partner Ruby and I, we have a show in, in Auckland, Um, in July at uh, Corbin Estate so after this just sort of working towards a new body of work for that which is really exciting to get to collaborate with my partner it's been a couple years since we've done that so yeah it's really exciting
2: Mm, That's a very special thing to be able to have that creative output with your partner
4: Yeah yeah, I should add, sorry, she is a, she is a um,
2: painter as well, as well. That was Christian Dimmock talking to me about his new show, Spelling Heavy Water. It opens tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock at Coco Gallery in Wellington. Um, you can text us in on 5395 if you have any thoughts about any of the pieces in this show. Here's a track from Christian's new EP, called My Friend Dog.
0: My friend
1: 22nd. Southbound is the place to be. No gimmicks, no frills, just the best selection of Record Store Day releases. In store only. Saturday, April 22nd at Southbound Records. <gasps> Keep my money on job. <laughs> yes, I am. The Reddit Select Champion. Every Monday night from 9 till 11,
0: Doggy Dundee Select does play the full range of Kettle Sound. reggae, beat-bop to hip-hop, dumb style, true to the latest and so vibes, yeah man, the rhythm selection, boy, the rhythm selection, boy. the rhythm selection, boy, from 9 to and 95 to FM, to be damn gay
1: What's it all for?
0: Various artists.
1: You're back on Various Artists on BFM. My name is Frances and I'm joined today by producer Sam. Uh, we're here in the studio with you and we're coming up to the last 20 minutes of the show. We have a last piece for you today. This week, the arts community has been remembering Nanette Cameron, who passed away aged 95. She's been dubbed Aotearoa's preeminent interior designer by arts organisation Object Space. She is instrumental in the flourishing of interior design practice in Tamaki Makoto and nationally. Her passing has been met with tributes, gratitude and aroha for a woman who is described by those who met her as formidable, a sweetheart and everything in between. To hear more about her life, I caught up with retired director of Object Space, Philip Clark who was the director of Object Space when they staged the major exhibition and published the publication Nanette Cameron, Interior Design Legend, in 2013. When I chatted with Philip, we just started talking about Nanette. We are remembering her life today. um, As as the publication you put out says she's um, an interior design legend, can you begin by explaining Nanette's career path?
5: Sure. She wrote a memoir in the, in the publication that went with the show that we staged in 2013. And, you know, she revealed quite a lot about herself that even quite a lot of her very closest friends didn't know. And like a lot of people who've ended up working in the arts and cultural sector, it was a sort of a series of sideways um, move, moves in many ways for Nanette. She trained as a home science um, doing a home science degree at Otago and then taught in Auckland for a few years. Then she went off to London and with a friend and they were away for a few years. And reading her memoir recently... It seems as though it was at that time she really worked out that she wanted to move into interior design. She said interior design was my goal. She came back, was teaching, doing some other things as well, and then she got a very lucky break to get a job at a shop called Herdney's, which was in High Street, which was really at, the only, at that time one of the only sort of higher-end interior design businesses in Auckland, and she worked there for a number of years. She later married, had some children, did a little bit of private practice while she was a mum, and then she also got into writing. Um, She wrote food columns and then was asked to write about houses for magazines and then was asked to do some night school teaching and eventually, I think it was in 1967, she did her first interiors course at Tāmaki College and, you know, her course at Tāmaki College predated any formal training provided by academic institutions in New Zealand and so that was a success and then as things went, she was, she was living in Pakaranga at those days and she was very instrumental with a group of notable women to get the Pakaranga Arts and Cultural Centre established and it was really the first purpose-built such centre in New Zealand. And once that came, that one, that building was developed, she was able to move, in a sense, what was her school into that premise. And so that still operates at Pakaranga. So, I mean, that's a sort of a brief outline of her career, which was, in a sense, moving from teaching into interiors. And then the bulk of her career was in um, teaching, Yes, interior.
1: Quite, it's quite an uh, ex- extraordinary and, and trailblazing career that she had. In, in the publication of this major exhibition that you put out, you call her an interior design legend. What is it about her life that has given her this legendary status? I
5: think in, you know, in, in, in terms of interior design, so many paths go back to Nanette. And that, that's one reason why she's a legend. Like in, in 2013, when we did that show, one of the writers calculated that she'd had 4,000 graduates from her teaching, which is sort of incredible. Wow. And, you know, people, there's that line about, you know, you can judge a person's character by their friends. And, you know, when I got to know Nanette, I think I met her in the 90s a little bit, but I got to know her much better when I was at Object Space. She was always sort of surrounded by her former students. I mean, there's an alumni group called the Nanette Cameron Interior Design Guild, and that's got, that had hundreds of members. And, but Nanette was this person who always seemed to be accompanied by a sort of entourage of former students, but we could call them fans. It was sort of incredible to see, you know, these very mature, able women with Nanette and they would talk about how Nanette had sort of changed their life in many ways. I mean, they had gone to her school, they had done the interior design training, some of them had gone on to develop their own careers in interior design or related areas but many people who went through that program said that Nanette changed their lives in many ways. She, she was quite candid about um, empowering women. She wanted to empower women. And she wanted to, she, I guess, the way that she thought and taught and about interior design was something that was connected with a whole lot of other areas. So it wasn't just a little cul-de-sac in a way. And so she talked talked about interior design in relation to architecture, art, engineering, environmentalism, history, literature, photography, philosophy, all of those things. And so people, you know, relayed their teaching is that being taught by Nanette is that it was a sort of a very immersive experience that wasn't just about you know what we might say textile furniture and you know materials that sort of side of things but she introduced them in a sense to the whole world Wow! and actually one of the Writers, Dr. Rachel Carley wrote an excellent um, essay for the publication. She said, you know, Nanette's approach made the personal political. And actually, I've got her essay in front of me, and Rachel talks about um, a theorist who says, interior design is interdisciplinary in its nature. It's a dialogue formed by architecture, art, fashion, film, engineering, history, literature, philosophy, product design and textiles. And I think that, you know, one of the great things about Nanette is that that well, that view of interior design is a very contemporary view. But somehow Nanette understood that way back yes. in the 1960s. Right
1: from the beginning. Mm.
5: Yeah. So she was sort of... She had this very wide view of interior design. Did you ever
1: get to visit her house? Yeah, yeah, I what, did. What was, the, what was the feel of her own house?
5: Well, she had previously lived in Pakaranga in a very sort of famous house that was quite well do- documented. But by the time I got to know her and visited her house, she was living in a really very charming 70s townhouse in Freemans Bay and I went there a number of times and it was what we say it was very relaxed it was sort of eclectic in a way but often when people use that word eclectic they might, that, it sort of conjures up ideas of lots of things but it didn't have a lot of things in it. Everything was sort of very considered and it was it was comfortable and relaxed. But I think the thing that I sort of remember particularly is that it really was, the interior was in accord with the architecture. So I think that, you know, coming back to Nanette's great respect for architecture, it was, she was living in the place and the objects that she'd bought into it were, um, you know, in accord with that. Container, if we want to call it that.
1: Yes, and, and not trying to, to force a, a different uh, a exactly. d- taste into a space.
5: Yeah, and it sort of had, early on in her career, sh- she developed a great interest in New Zealand studio pottery. So I remember, you know, there was a little bit of pottery, there was contemporary furniture, there was a little bit of older stuff. So it was a sort of, that's what I mean by eclectic, it was relaxed. And, you know, it it was a place for comfortable living rather than a show place.
1: Obviously, it's, um, as we've touched on, a very, very long um, and incredible career. Um, 95 is very impressive. But obviously, it's also a huge loss to the arts community. What are the arts community doing to celebrate her life over the next week or so? Well,
5: uh, the, the funeral's on Monday, and then there's going to be a big, I guess, reception at Object Space following that. So that's that's what I know about. But I think that, you know, there's, there are many legacies to Nanette's career and life. And one of the things that the, the project that we did in 2013 sort of brought out was how Nanette had been in many ways influential in areas like the visual arts and architecture. So, you know, she, grad- she taught and graduated many people who came out of her course with an uh, interior design uh, diploma. Out of that, all sorts, some of those people went on to commission, you know, pieces of New Zealand architecture. And she was in fact, her teaching and herself were very um, influential for, you know, uh, leading architects getting commissions. And in the publication, a number of people, Pete Bosley, Malcolm Walker, talk about that picture. Shire, they talk about Nanette as a sort of a major influencer in the development of New Zealand architecture. And I think similarly in the visual arts, Nanette created a great awareness amongst her students and those uh, graduates about the value of the visual arts and a number of visual arts buying groups were formed and have gone on. One of them, I think that, you know, does definitely go back to Nanette. Um, is still going the Stitchbury Group. Mm. Thirty or forty years on, and so I think it's not so much just about what the visual arts community doing, and now or the arts community is doing now. I think that her legacy is alive and well in many different forms and of course Nanette, with a number of people as i said before were very influential in creating a number of institutions in pakaranga that um they were the pakaranga arts and community center and then what was called the fisher gallery and that now both amalgamated into tatui and so there's you know a very physical legacy in in that that community where she lived for a long time, that will remain.
1: That was retired director of Object Space, Philip Clark, talking with me about the life of interior design legend, Nanette Cameron, who passed away last week at 95. You're on Various Artists with Francis and Sam. Sam's gonna (laughs) introduce the track.
2: Oh, my mic is on. Your mic is oh on, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's been a while um, since I was last in studio. Um, this track is called Miss Modular and it's by Stereolab. We'll listen to this before we get into the art guide for today.
1: Catch you soon.